today on The Lab Report. We interview Dr. Julie Greenberg. Yeah, LearnSkin.com. We're talking dermatology today. Integumentary. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Are you dancing? Is that okay? You're drumming. You're fake drumming. There's no drum yet. I mean, I'm not on camera, so I can dance all I want. (laughs) Hi, Michael Chapman. Hello, Patty Devers. How's it going? It's going great. Welcome to the Lab Report to you and to everyone listening. Yes, welcome one and all (laughs) to the Lab Report, a podcast that's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics and is about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and dermatology. Apparently, yes. Yeah. Well... If you're hearing this for the first time, and I know you're going to love what you hear, you should probably go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to the podcast. Yeah. And if you want to uh, connect with us, if you have a question Mm -hmm. or some feedback, you can email that question to podcast at gdx.net. Maybe you got a question about dermatology, right? Because... We don't talk about dermatology. You know, I was going to say that, considering that the skin is like one of I the largest... I beat you to the punch. It's like the largest organ in our body, and we don't ever really talk about it. It's not fair. Right? It's not Getting fair. a bad rap. So, when it comes to... Chappers, what are we talking about today? We're mm-hmm. talking derm. I like it, though, because, you know, we always talk about the connection with the GI tract, but when you're really looking at the skin, there's so many skin conditions. There's so many, and they all must have a root cause, so there must be a functional approach to that, so I hope that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm sure we will cover some of that territory, yeah. Yay. So, and we're going to be talking to naturopathic physician mm-hmm. who is teaching a course for Learn Skin, mm-hmm. um, naturopathic approaches to dermatology. So, what better person to talk to about root causes than Dr. Julie Greenberg? I have so many questions. Yeah. I can't wait. Well, you don't have to wait any longer. Good. Any longer. Like right now? No, you you do not have to wait any longer. I do because you keep going on and on about my waiting. Right. Let's call Dr. Greenberg. <laughs> cool. So, Michael, I'm super excited to have Dr. Julie Greenberg here today. Yeah. I know. Well, Dr. Julie Greenberg received her naturopathic medical degree from Bastyr University. She's a Los Angeles native who graduated magna cum laude from Northwestern University with a bachelor's degree in economics. She then went on to earn an MBA from Stanford University's Graduate School of Business. Julie's also a registered herbalist in addition to her naturopathic training. Cool. She's passionate about integrative dermatology and writes peer-reviewed medical dermatology articles for LearnSkin.com. And Julie also brings some evidence-based alternative medicine to her practice at the Center for Integrative Dermatology. And with that, welcome to the lab report, Dr. Greenberg. Yeah, welcome, Julie. Good to have you. Thanks, guys. I'm so glad to be here. I love your podcast. It's super fun. You know, we were talking earlier, Dr. Greenberg, about just how much there's seemingly a lack of not education, but maybe just when it comes to dermatology, we don't talk about dermatology as a system as much as we do some of the other systems, cardiovascular and GI from a naturopathic and functional medicine approach. Why do you think that is when it comes to dermatology? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And when we look at it, it it actually doesn't even make sense because dermatology is not one of the number one complaints, like in the outpatient setting, it's Mm -hmm. tied with back pain and slash joint pain. Right. And 
anyone who's in practice and seeing is seeing it. And half of these derm problems actually present to non-dermatologists. So they're coming right. to their PCPs, their naturopathic doctor, their nutritionist, their DOs and saying, oh, I have this skin problem. Can you help me? And I tried to think about why, why don't we have more focus on it? And I think it's just a history. You know, we historically in naturopathic medicine and functional medicine, we focus in on the GI and we focus in on reproductive hormones and immunity, which are all great things to focus on. And then somehow the skin has just gotten ignored and nobody's kind of pulled together all the research tying together things like GI, immune and hormone with chronic skin disease into kind of a coherent work of, you know, a body of work that's going to make sense, yeah. which, yeah, it's, it's very lacking. Well, and, and it's a shame, right? And it's so important. And to your point, many of these functional medicine docs are seeing these patients in their clinic. So what is your functional medicine approach to finding the root cause of some of these skin conditions? Like, where do you start? Yeah. So I think I mean, we were just talking about the gut. I think the gut is a good place to go. You know, I think Hippocrates says all health begins in the gut. And mm -hmm. I think anyone who's a naturopathic or functional medicine doctor inherently kind of believes that to be true, yeah. at least for chronic disease. Right. So I do. I look at the gut, but I look at all sorts of other systems like the immune system, what's happening with cortisol. We know stress has a huge impact on lots of disease, but skin disease in particular. So we want to do a good intake. We want to look at all the systems, but I love to do functional lab testing to determine GI function. And I kind of view GI function as there's kind of two prongs, right? On the one hand, there's how's the digestive health doing? Mm -hmm. Do we have enough enzymes? Do, is our stomach acid acidic enough? Is our migrating motor complex working and cleaning out the gunk, you know, in right. between meals? Yeah. And then, and then there's microbial health, right? What's actually in there? What's comprising our gut? We now know and just more and more research is coming out. What's in our gut matters. You know, we think we're eating for one, if we're not pregnant, like, oh, I'm just feel like this and I'm going to eat it. But right. no, you're eating for billions. You have to feed your friends <laughs> in your gut. It's so important. Right. Yeah. Well said. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, and I wonder too, as you were saying, nothing is going to bring a patient in like having a derm complaint, oh, especially right. as it relates to if it's something on their their head or face. Their face right. And so, you know, I think one of the things that we often talk about is in naturopathic medicine and functional medicine, we treat the gut first, but how often the GI tract is linked to the skin. And I'm just wondering whether, you know, that's just kind of something that we've always known to, or at least hold true on, but does that bear evidence in the literature as well? It bears evidence in the literature and it bears evidence in clinical experience. And I mean, you, you made a really good point, right? When somebody's having a problem on their skin, especially on their face, they're going to come in to see you. Not only that, these are the most motivated patients you will ever have. Yep. You know, I think people who treat, you know, internal disease like diabetes or cardiovascular disease, we know there's a lot of problems with compliance of getting our patients to do the right thing, right? Like you, you're diabetic, you can't eat sugar or you have hypertension, you can't eat salt, but it's not really something that they see on a daily basis. And so it can be hard to stay motivated or do these things as a patient. Right. Derm patient, oh no, they're going to do that. <laughs> if you tell them, sense. you know, you can't eat sugar, yep. you know, sugar causes wrinkles, you will not get someone to change their behavior faster <laughs> than having a derm. <laughs> right. And it is so much fun to treat these patients just because they are they're just so willing to, you know, comply with protocol and and stay with it when they can see the changes. So, 
they're fantastic to have as patients. Right. Got it. And when, when you're evaluating the GI tract, what are some of the things that you are looking at? You mentioned that you do some GI testing, some stool testing as part of your evaluation. Are there, what are some of the things that you as a clinician are looking for that's going to demonstrate what might be underneath the dermatologic condition that you're treating? Yeah. So like on a big big kind of 30,000 foot scale, right? I'm looking at what's the microbial makeup. Are they too low in some beneficial flora? Are they higher in even commensals? Are there pathogenic bacteria? We have a lot of data now that show by disease what kind of the dysfunction looks like. So for example, in atopic dermatitis, those patients tend to have lower levels of good bacteria like bifido, bacteria, bacteroidetes, bacteroides, and we see higher levels of pathogenic bacteria like staph aureus. C. diff, E. coli, especially in infants, we see high levels of C. diff and E. coli. And Staph aureus isn't super surprising to see in the gut because it's a major player for eczema on the skin and it gets colonized in the nose. So yeah, we see it on the skin, it's colonized in the nose, no surprise, it's in the GI tract. You know, that's kind of stuff. I'll look specifically at those strains. I will look at intestinal inflammation. So I definitely want to see markers of inflammation like calprotectin and lactoferrin, secretory IgA, you know, how extensive is this? I can't tell you the number of patients I have. They don't have any GI complaints at all, Mm. but they've got some extensive dermatological disease. And I know there's GI dysfunction. I just don't know exactly what's going on. And we get in there and there's these markers of colonic inflammation. And that's really serious. You know, we see elevated calprotectin and lactoferrin in IBD, right? Mm -hmm. In Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And these guys don't even have GI complaints, but their gut is really inflamed. So I look at, I look at those kinds of markers. Yeah. Well, I think the one thing most people think of in functional medicine is they're thinking about increased intestinal permeability or leaky gut. So I know that this has been in the literature for some time, but what's your understanding of the relationship between leaky gut and some of these skin conditions? Yeah, so we're learning a lot more about leaky gut and you know there's lots of different ways to test for it. But overall, we we now understand, right, that we've got this really beautiful mucin lining layer in the gut and that is protecting the enterocytes and the colonocytes from all of the stuff flowing through our GI tract. Mm-hmm. And we've got antigens and pathogens and undigested food and you know just all sorts of stuff that it's not really the immune system isn't supposed to see it, not in mass. There's very controlled sampling that goes on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now is that dysbiosis is causing the mucin layer to degrade. So either you might not have enough uh, beneficial bacteria like Acromancia mucinophila. It's in the name. It's a mucin-loving bacteria, mm. and it helps the goblet cells produce mucin. Right. Well, there's other bacteria that can get in there and actually degrade the mucin layer. And then when that happens are enterocytes, which in the small intestine, they're only one cell thick because they're supposed to be doing a lot of nutrient absorption. So if there were too many layers, you know, we wouldn't be able to absorb nutrients, but they're, you know, they're protected by this layer. When that gets degraded, these cells get damaged and then the tight junctions in between them get compromised. And suddenly we can get this massive influx of pathogens and really toxic byproduct like LPS, lipopolysaccharides. It's in the cell walls of gram-negative bacteria. And another word for them is endotoxins, and they are toxins. Mm -hmm. And 
when we have this intestinal, intestinal permeability, they just flow through our gut into our bloodstream and we start reacting against them and they can lodge in the skin, they can lodge in joints. And there's a lot of research showing by disease that there is increased intestinal permeability. So for example, in psoriasis, we see this hyperpermeability, we see high levels of endotoxins like LPS hmm. and the LPS is found in the plaques. Yeah. Right, huh. it's coming through the stomach and lodging into the skin, wow. and yeah, we know we know now some of the effects that they're having. Like so, LPS in the skin increases cyclic GMP levels, which increases the rate of keratinocyte proliferation. Yeah. Wow. And we know psoriasis, the plaques, right, are they're over proliferating. So, hmm. how much is this due to the LPS? The research is still kind of coming out, but we're starting to see links and reasons for why this is happening. And then another feature with uh, psoriatic patients is they show these lovely named polyamines, putrescine and cadaverine, <laughs> right. um, which are just, you know, they just conjure up kind <laughs> right. of horrible images. Oh. And they, they are, I mean, they're, they're what happens in putrefied meat. So what's happening is, you know, these undigested proteins get into the colon and some of the bacteria create putrescine and cadaverine, gets out into the system through leaky gut, and it's found in the plaques of psoriatic, psoriatic patients. And these also lower cyclic AMP, which is just the flip side of the endotoxins raising cyclic GMP. Mm -hmm. So by lowering the camp, the skin cell proliferation is sped up. So again, this is another factor that's increasing the proliferation of the keratinocytes in the plaques. And they've done studies that when they lower these cutaneous and urinary levels of these polyamines like putrescine and cadaverine mm -hmm. in psoriasis patients, they see a clinical improvement. So we know stuff is coming from the gut and affecting the skin and the joints in psoriatic patients. But we also see it in atopic dermatitis. There's a association between the level of increased intestinal permeability and the level of atopic dermatitis severity. That is, that's fascinating because it it's like the perfect example for functional medicine because you have a skin condition and the conventional way of thinking is to put something on your skin right. to stop it versus starting from the inside out. So that's really a direct correlation. Yeah, there. and I just love when these old adages actually, right. <laughs> they prove themselves <laughs> out figure. in the research. It's it's just fascinating. So that's that's excellent. Thanks for that, that information. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, the things like you were talking about where the fermentation of protein in the distal colon mm -hmm. creates these putrefactive short-chain fatty acids, that's something that's testable on a stool test like the GIFX. So you can, you can even look at the levels that's being produced in your psoriatic patients. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are the kinds of things I look for. I will also look in my psoriatic patients. Is there an H. pylori problem? Do I think there's hypochlorhydria, right? So is the lack of digestive protein starting in the stomach where the stomach is just not acidic enough, right? Is there, like you said, like, are there not enough pancreatic enzymes? Like, where is the problem happening? Yeah. And, you know, where do we have to start correcting it? Because, if you've got H. pylori or if you've got uh, high levels of strep and staph are found in the gut of psoriatic patients, mm -hmm. and a lot of that is coming from the outside. So it's like, where do we need to start impacting it, right? In the yeah. mouth, yeah. in right, the stomach. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Well, and another thing that's 
that we talked about on the LearnSkin podcast that we did just a couple of days ago that's going to kind of release around the same time as this is we were talking about how permeability also is related to food sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And we see how often when somebody has a more permeable gut, they're getting more food proteins, they're more likely to start mounting IgG food sensitivity reactions, and just how common food sensitivities are to skin conditions as well. Have you seen where there's skin conditions that that have a really strong connection to food sensitivity or food allergy reactions? Definitely. And I think atopic dermatitis is the one that most comes to mind just because you can get patients who, you know, they have these, you test them IgE, they don't have a dairy allergy and then just horrible sensitivity, you know, food sensitivity to dairy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of that is it's just leaking into their gut. It's, it's, appearing to their immune system, especially in infants, in ways it was really not meant to be. And you do get this overwhelm of the system. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing about atopic derm patients is they don't just have leaky gut. They have what we call leaky skin. Hmm. And yeah, we all know about the atopic triad, which is like, oh, okay, you start off with eczema, and then sometimes it progresses to actual full-blown food allergy and asthma. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're, we're researching and getting a lot more information to why that's happening. And we call that leaky skin now. So they got leaky gut and they've got leaky skin. And the same thing that happens in the gut happens in the skin where their tight junctions open up. They don't have a good barrier and food proteins can leak through their skin, get presented to the immune system in an inappropriate way. And suddenly they can have an egg or a peanut or, you know, a food allergy. And the same thing with like things in the air, like pollens and whatnot, and Mm -hmm. it can contribute to asthma. And they've done these fascinating studies with rats where they shave their backs and they do something called tape stripping, which is they put this very adhesive tape to basically induce cutaneous injury. And these rats did not have any sort of like eczema or food allergies prior to the start of the trial. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, they create these kind of eczema, they create these uh, skin barrier problems. And then they put gauze with ovalbumin, which is egg white protein onto the backs of the rats. And they do it in cycles, three cycles. And after the first cycle, they start to see eczematous lesions developing. And then after the second cycle, they start to see IgE antibodies against egg white protein. Wow. And we think that's what's happening in babies when they develop these food allergies is the leaky skin. So mm. leaky skin, leaky gut, you know, it's all related. We, we have to present things to the immune system in a way in which it was meant to be done, or we just confuse it and it kind of goes haywire. And so testing for finding and fixing intestinal permeability is really critical for all of these chronic skin diseases, but also with atopic derm, because we don't want these kids to progress down the atopic triad. Yeah. You know, asthma and food allergies, those are life-threatening conditions. Right, yeah. right. Well, even in the same vein, like you're going to clean up the gut. We're thinking about all these things that you're talking about with leaky gut and permeability and dysbiosis. How much do you use nutritional testing, like organic acid testing? And, and is there a correlation with specific skin conditions when we think about organic acids? Yeah, I really like to use the organic acid testing. I find it's very helpful with yeast and fungal conditions. Mm. Sometimes I've found on the stool test, those won't culture out or they won't show up on the stool test, mm-hmm. but they, they do tend to show up on oat. And again, for atopic derm, it's just, it's so often that I'm seeing candida as a problem. And 
we often see candida and a dairy sensitivity and mm-hmm. they get cross-reactive and then they can get subderma on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it's super helpful for me to see the oat and also, you know, sometimes clostridia um, like C. diff and stuff will show up there depending on the stool test. It may or may not call out pathogenic strains. So it's nice to see that. And then I can see nutritional deficiencies. So a lot of times when candida is high on the oat, I will also see a need for vitamin B2, riboflavin. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is candida is is very toxic in the gut, and it creates a byproduct called acetaldehyde, which if any of us have been hungover, we're familiar with acetaldehyde because it's the (laughs) thing that's making us feel so awful the next day. And so the body needs to utilize B2 to try to process it. And so we're using up all the B2 to deal with the candida and it's, you know, not left over. So you can get mitochondrial dysfunction, you know, and all sorts of other things. So I do love running an oat along with the stool test. Those two together, I feel like give me a really good picture of the gut and, you know, is there mitochondrial dysfunction? Do I need, do I need to help them with antioxidant stuff like glutathione, CoQ10? It's all very important to helping kind of correct the underlying problems and get them in a state of health. Yeah. And, you know, there's some other nutrients that I think about treating therapeutically too. I I think about vitamin E in particular, but I'm wondering if there's other nutrients that you're familiar with, like whether it be magnesium or zinc or things like that, that have associations with different skin conditions. Absolutely. So, and you you guys have some at-home urine tests, which are very convenient right now, especially in these times of COVID. So the metabolic and the one panel are great because you get kind of the oat plus the nutritional markers. Mm -hmm. Some of the vitamins and nutrients that I find are most efficient with all sorts of skin disease are vitamin A, zinc, vitamin D, and vitamin E. Now, You know, when we're looking at treating the underlying root cause and coming up with protocols, I want to see if these are actually deficient or not. If they're deficient, we can turn around things big time, right? If it's if zinc is the problem and I give zinc, we can see a huge turnaround. Mm -hmm. But if zinc is not the problem, then I don't want to waste time giving them zinc because there's other, you know, there's bigger fish to fry, so to speak. And so when we're trying to choose our protocols, right, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, our toolbox is so robust. We have so much to choose from we have to prioritize. And so getting the nutrient panel and knowing exactly where deficiencies are or are not is super helpful for for me in terms of prioritizing my protocol with patients. Got it. Well, on that note, you know, since we do have such a large toolbox as you're describing, what are some of your go-tos when it comes to instigating a particular diet or from a, a supplementation standpoint? What are some of the things that you find incredibly valuable for something like atopic dermatitis? In terms of protocols? Yeah. 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 So if it's a kid, if it's an infant and they are on a formula or doing dairy, that's the first thing I want to cut out. So it's hard because our culture is just so attuned to eating dairy and all forms of dairy, you know, cheese and yogurts and, and all sorts of things. We drink it, we eat it as kids and into adulthood. But there's just so much, first of all, the way we get milk, right? We're usually not drinking raw milk straight from the cow. So it's been pasteurized and homogenized. The cows have hormones in them. So the product itself is adulterated. But I really have to talk to parents and patients about the fact, you know, what is milk? Why does milk exist in the world? Its function is to make baby mammals grow really quickly. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, it's got a lot of hormones, including growth hormones. That is fantastic if you're a baby and if you're a baby of that species. 
But, you know, once you're not an infant and if you're not a baby cow, for example, drinking cow's milk, you know, there's a lot of inflammation that goes on in the human body as a result of that. And Mm -hmm. so the first thing I like to cut out is dairy, all dairy. And you really I really need to talk to patients about what that means, because a lot of them will say like, oh, okay, I've cut out cow's milk. But then you find out they were drinking goat's milk or I thought it just meant milk. I've been eating cheese. It's like, you know, no. Or they're supplementing with whey or whey protein or casein. You really need to work with your patients to make sure they understand what you're cutting out. Eggs is another big one that people can have food sensitivities to and certainly refined carbohydrates, gluten, cutting out gluten can take care of a lot of problems and obviously cutting down on sugar. Yeah. So my, my big three are dairy, gluten, and sugar. And then I also like to test eggs as a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you even do other testing besides nutrition, like organic acid testing or stool testing? Do you even bother looking at hormonal panels or other specific tests? It, it totally depends on the patient and what's going on. So for example, I have a patient who is in her mid 40s. She's had atopic dermatitis her whole life. She's been using topical steroids and oral steroids for the past 20 years. Topical steroids wow. really on and off pretty consistently for the past 20 years. She came to me because she had something called steroid withdrawal sy- syndrome. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's a very horrible condition where people have been taking oral steroids and topical steroids. And then all of a sudden they break out in this bright red skin from head to toe. It's a kind of like, looks like a scalded skin syndrome. It can last for months or years. It is very painful. It's basically, it's very hard to treat either conventionally or, you know, functionally. And so what I like to do for that, I do do cortisol testing. So either urine or spit tests, Hmm. because I need to see what's happening with their adrenals. It's a confusing state for the body. When you give somebody oral prednisone, you're actually suppressing their cortisol, their cortisone production, mm-hmm. right? Because the body, it's it's a mimicker. So the body's like, oh, I've got enough cortisone, so I don't need to produce anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, we get prednisone withdrawal. You have to taper. You can't just pull somebody off it. Right. right. Well, we put topical steroids on. That's a different thing. We're actually putting free cortisol directly into the body. Mm-hmm. And so you get these people who are taking prednisone and using topical steroids. So on the one hand, they're suppressing cortisone but then they're pushing free cortisol through their skin, the body gets confused and you can go through this steroid withdrawal syndrome. So it's Hmm. very helpful to test and see what is happening with their adrenals, what's happening with their cortisol, how do I best support their adrenals to get them through this quickly? And I find it's very effective in quickly getting them through it. There's no reason somebody should be suffering for months or years from steroid withdrawal syndrome. And you know, with acne, yes, I will definitely do hormone testing. So it, it just depends on the patient and the sure. situation. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's a really interesting case. I had one clinician who I was precepting with, and they were talking about cystic acne, and they were under the impression, or this was their belief, that the majority of cystic acne cases was actually an issue with sugar, refined carbohydrates and sugar. I don't know whether you've seen anything like that in the literature or whether you've seen that bear out in practice. Well, it depends. So you do, you will have cystic acne patients who really have cut out sugar. I mean, I think the, the more interesting thing is I think sugar is 
somewhat responsible for all acne. When we look at uh, indigenous populations, whether they're in Paraguay or Papua New Guinea, doesn't matter where they are. If you're looking at an indigenous group who's, you know, living kind of in the forest off the land, not exposed to Western food and society, mm-hmm. there is basically no acne amongst these populations, huh. not amongst any teens, not adults, no women going through perimenopause. They don't have words for it because it doesn't exist. Then we look oh. at Western society and we think acne is quote unquote normal, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 80, actually 90 to 95% of our teens who uh, will get acne. And so that feels normal, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you're, 90% of people get it. That's normal, but it's not normal. And, you know, we're still decoding what about Western society, you know, prompts this production of acne, but a lot of it absolutely does come down to the diet because they find when these indigenous folks move into cities, they will develop acne. So there's nothing genetic about them that they're just resistant to acne, right? It's it's a Western disease. So yeah, mm. I think sugar is certainly one of the causes of acne, but I definitely have patients who have cut out sugar and it's still there. And we need to investigate, you know, other triggers and other reasons why they're personally getting acne. That's interesting. Yeah. Isn't that true? I mean, because to your point, Julie, it's just an accepted thing. We think, oh, teenagers, hormones, blah, 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 blah. When in essence... The fact that it's not in other countries or another, yeah. uh, that's really interesting. It's a similar thing too, like with menopause, right? We, right. we don't see menopause right. being a, an issue in indigenous cultures that's, and we think that's completely normal. That's right? such an amazing point. So, and, and not even just menopause. I mean, any woman who's a menstruating female all of our life, we know like, oh, it's this time of the month. That's why I've got a zit coming on, see? right? And we just wow. kind of accept it as like, here's my monthly zit friend showing up. I know where I am in my cycle. That's such a great point. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. wow. And, you know, I think this is such an important podcast just to put this on most functional clinicians' radar, just, you know, the functional uh, medicine approach to dermatology and just hearing how what, what a huge difference functional medicine can make in these patients. But I know that you do a lot of writing in association with LearnSkin and do some teaching over at LearnSkin.com. Can you talk about what's going on over there as far as an initiative to further education? Yeah. So at LearnSkin.com, we've put together a program. I'm the program chair. It's called uh, Naturopathic and Integrative Dermatology Series. And it's we think it's the first of its kind. And it's a 20-course CE-accredited series, and it's free. So you can get up to 10 CE credits, and it's accredited for MDs, so medical doctors, NDs, naturopathic doctors, and I think nutritionists as well. And it's really the first program to put all of this stuff together, right? And so it's, we pulled together all the research, you know, we started off talking about like, why isn't there more, you know, focusing on dermatology and pulling together from a functional medicine or naturopathic perspective. I don't think anyone's ever like done a deep dive into the research and pulled it together in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. These courses do this for you. And so some of them are by topic. So if you want to see like, read more about atopic derm. You can read, take the course on naturopathic approach to atopic dermatitis. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of uh, specific conditions like rosacea, atopic derm, psoriasis, herpes, acne, a bunch more. But then we also have courses where we go into kind of this more functional medicine testing. So there's like SIBO testing, there's intestinal permeability testing, mm-hmm. of course, on that, yeah. uh, IgG food sensitivities. There's a whole course on gut dysbiosis and skin health. Yeah, so people can head over to learnskin.com. If this series launches on June 25th, 
-hmm. and they can sign up for free to be a member and take all 20 courses for free. Great. And I know Genova's done some sponsorship there as well, right? Yes, you guys have. And so you guys have sponsored the naturopathic approach to atopic dermatitis, which has been great. great. And then actually I did a podcast with Dr. Michael Chapman. Yay. Um, yeah. And so if, if clinicians want to learn more about like how specifically to use the functional medicine test, they can both watch or listen to his podcast. And I would suggest watching. It's a video and Michael does a lot of screen sharing where it's so helpful because he takes you through the stool test and you know the nutritional test and all the Genova labs and shows people like how to look at them, how to analyze them. And we talk, you know, all about these connections between skin health and gut health. So I think and I, I haven't really seen that anywhere either. So I think it's a unique interview that's really going to benefit people trying to learn how to do these tests and make these connections. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then you guys have also sponsored, there's going to be a live a masterclass webinar that people can tune into. That's on June 16th. And that's called Naturopathic and Functional Medicine Testing for Dermatological Conditions. And I'll be doing live case studies showing some of these tests. I'll be showing many of Genova's tests. So I'll be showing your intestinal permeability test and how I used some of your tests on my patients, like the one test and the metabolic test, which are nutrient and um, oat tests. So yeah, you can come tune into that as well. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, we're, we're happy to sponsor those events. And, you know, I just think it's really important to think about dermatology in a functional way and, and bring this naturopathic functional approach to dermatology because we can, as you said, be helping a lot of people that are coming into primary care offices out there. And so we're just thrilled to be a part of it. Where else can people follow you if there's anyone who's listening and maybe wants to look you up at maybe the, the Center for Integrative Dermatology? You want to tell us a little bit about where you can be located? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm uh, based in Los Angeles at the Center for Integrative Dermatology. Like you said at the beginning, I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor. So I'm licensed to treat patients in California and Washington. And I do a lot of telehealth, even before COVID, I did a lot of telehealth treating patients uh, virtually all throughout California and Washington. But for clinicians who are in other states who might need consults, you can contact me and I can consult you directly on cases. You know, I can't treat patients in those other states, but I can help uh, clinicians out. Or, you know, if you just have general questions about, you know, you need resources for this more kind of functional approach to dermatology, I'm happy to talk with folks about kind of where to go and what to do. So go to integrativedermatologycenter.com. Or you can Google me, Dr. Julie Greenberg, ND, and my phone number is 424-422-1200. You can call me at the office, and I'm happy to chat. Oh, that's great. Awesome. That's awesome. great. I'm so glad you came on, Julie. Yeah, This is so interesting. Me to too. And before we let you go, I actually I have one more question uh -oh. for you. This is a little bit off topic, but it's something that we tend to ask all of our guests that come on, and <laughs> I'm just curious by nature. <laughs> do you, Dr. Uh, Greenberg, do you ahead. like sandwiches? <laughs> And if you do like sandwiches, do you have a favorite sandwich? Here we go. Well, I don't like sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gluten-free. And 
my healthy plate what i talk to all my patients about is when you look down at your plate half of your plate should be vegetables yeah Uh, so it's hard to do that in a sandwich i mean you could you could obviously do gluten-free bread but then like half of your sandwich being vegetables would be like a broccoli sandwich (laughs) so yeah no i'm much more of a salad kind of girl than i don't i can't even remember the last time i had a sandwich fair (laughs) enough fair enough okay so then do you have a favorite type of salad yeah, I love a, a good kale salad. You know, I like uh-huh. dark leafy greens. And then I like to chop up. I like to have at least like five different vegetables. I love scallions and onions. They're great prebiotics for our gut bacteria. Mm. I mean, it, I know how dorky it sounds, but I really do. I really do think about my gut bacteria when I'm eating. <laughs> That's so okay. I try to eat the rainbow, right? I try to get different colors in there, like radishes are red and carrots are orange and so I just like a a nice big colorful salad and sometimes I'll you know put a little roast turkey in there and a nice oil base like an oil and vinegar vinaigrette and it just makes me so happy I'm a big salad so (laughs) it's so healthy (laughs) way to make the naturopathic community proud with that answer that was well done (laughs) that's right so I appreciate you answering that silliness question and so um with that I like to thank you for coming on and spending this time with us and sharing some of your great clinical insight with us thank you and uh, everyone definitely go and and see everything that dr greenberg's doing with learn skin um and that's awesome with the complimentary ceus that all that education that you're getting that's really great so just thank you so much and thanks for coming on yeah thank you guys so much for having me it's been a pleasure We need to do more derm. We certainly do. I'm so glad she came on because Dr. Greenberg just brought up so many important things that you never think about. Yeah, fascinating bits of the literature as well. You know, that information, that tidbit about LPS being being in the plaques. Incorporated in the psoriatic plaques. That's really... Didn't know that. That's tremendously interesting. So much great information, but I do think we should do a disclaimer, Michael. Yeah, we should. You going to do it? No, let's have Oliver do it because my voice is feeling a little scratchy. All right. The contents at Lab Reports are meant for educational purposes only and not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Thanks, Oliver. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to dig into the genetics world. Single nucleotide polymorphisms. Otherwise known as SNPs for those of you who are in the know. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You have a lot of peas. Oh, yeah, at our household? Yeah. Yeah, man, we burn a hole through the pea industry. I had some peas not long ago, and I thought, how, why don't I eat more peas? Yeah, they're, they're, um... They're good. Are they? I love peas. I think it's just something Maybe because I don't eat them that frequently. I think it's just something to eat, honestly. <laughs> something. You give them to kids. You don't eat them, really. You just give them to kids. Oh. Or put them in stuff. I like them. I think peas are probably best when you don't know you're eating them. 